Welcome to another episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, the Boots on the Ground podcast for replanters by replanters with your host, Bob Bickford and Jimbo Stewart. Here in the trenches with you doing the gritty and glorious work of replanting dying churches. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital, the church website and branding partner you need to help move your church forward. Here we are back in the boot camp, Bob. I hope you're ready for the next episode. Still here in my closet of an office at First Coast Churches. It's a beautiful closet, though, and I, I like it. And even the days when I come out of the closet, it's a good day. <laughs> Jimbo, this you have this is this might not be widely known, but you have an aesthetic flair about you. Okay. Like I come in here and this represents order and it's visually pleasing. And all these books, I'm surrounded by all these books, and it feels intellectual. Okay. And it feels, to me, it's inspirational. Nice. To be in here. Yeah, maybe with the, the most inspirational closet you've ever been in. No doubt about it. It is the most inspirational closet. And it, it doesn't feel like a closet so much. It just, it does. It feels like a long, kind of a long hallway. Yeah. That's been cornered off and turned into an office. No, I actually love my office here. I'm grateful that I have it. If if I didn't have it, I don't know where all these books would go. Oh, my uh, gosh. Because there's nowhere they could go in my house, that's for sure. I know. That's one of the, the things that is true for me. When I stopped pastoring the church that I did in Webster Groves, I had all these boxes of books. And I, I gave some of them away to our good friend Mike Bird and some others. And Jimbo, now they're kind of squirreled away in my office upstairs, which you've been in. Yeah. They are downstairs in the main living area down there, which you've been in. And then they're behind the bedroom downstairs. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're just everywhere. And they're in the way. Yeah. And I'm thinking, why didn't I order books on Kindle years ago? <laughs> yeah, I gave a ton away. And this was actually, this is probably about a third of what I had in my pastoral office at Redemption. So if you're in the Northeast Florida area and you ever need to borrow a commentary or a book on something, man, let me know. I'd be glad to, to lend my library to you. Yeah, just doing a quick survey, you've got two good to great books by Jim Collins. And so I think you could probably let one of those go. Yeah, so there there are some books that I intentionally have multiples of for that very purpose, that if the occasion were to arise and you're sitting in that chair and we're having a conversation and I think, you know, Bob needs to read Good to Great. And I've got two copies. I'll just give you one of them. Yeah. That's kind of the thinking behind my multiple copies that I have of certain things. I love it. Man, you know, I'm glad you appreciate it. I've been told... I have kind of a large personality, <laughs> and even I've been told somewhat enigmatic personality. Like it's kind of hard to figure me out. Yeah, I I don't know if enigmatic. There, you're layered, Jimbo, and you have some stories. I you know I I think one of my favorite things to do is when we are grabbing dinner some somewhere. And by the way, just I want to let all all the boot campers know I am a Yelp elite for 2023. There I, we go. I Congratulations! Thank you, thank you. How many years in a row? Five years, Jimbo. Five years. I'm a gold level Yelp elite. So, but one of my favorite things to do when we're out at a new place to eat is I will think of some obscure thing that I've never done. And I will ask you if you've done it and you go, Oh yeah, I've done that before. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. I have experienced a lot of things in my life and, and I'll be honest, especially at a younger age, I would experience a lot of things just so that I could experience it. Like I, I just would go, I just wonder, you know, what that's like. And so I would try it out and, you know, just to see, just to have the knowledge of experience. Some of them are illegal and we won't talk about them. 
Yeah. Uh, some of them are just downright hilarious. And some of them are, I can't even imagine what happened. And we still, you know, we still have the narrative of your visit to LA that we've never yeah. unpacked. And that could be a whole long form podcast. I know we could compete with Trevin Wax's yeah. long form <laughs> podcast. We might, we might ought to consider that. <laughs> and track it down. My fear though, is that we would be outing someone out of witness protection. And I'll just leave it at that. And that's the only reason I haven't gone more public with that story. <laughs> I'm not lying when I say that, but look, hey, as a guy with a strong personality, here's what I have realized, Bob. With a strong personality, I have the ability to bring a lot of energy and momentum into a new initiative. And here's what I've also learned and realized that is not always a good thing. Yeah, you know, I think we are both fairly strong personalities. Yeah. In different ways, in unique ways. We're similar in, in a lot of ways mm-hmm. as well. But I think I learned, particularly when I was an associate pastor in Dallas, that my positive enthusiasm and belief that we can do just about anything that we want to can make people feel run over. Yeah. I remember the first time I took a personality profile and it listed as a challenge that I was too optimistic. Hmm. And I remember like legitimately being puzzled by that. Like, how is that even possible? How can you, (laughs) (laughs) like, how can you be too optimistic? How is that a thing? Well, let me say this, and this may apply to you. Let's say Jimbo that you are in Louisiana and you want to drive to California and you've got the hooptiest of hooptiest cars. And you think, ah, I'll just go by the auto zone and I'll get some coolant and, uh, couple cases of oil, and I, I know the car's not running great, but I think we can make it. That might be too much optimism. I mean, I, I probably have a couple stories that sound pretty similar to that. <laughs> I, I, I imagine, imagine you do. <laughs> and, and so, no, I get it. I mean, I later realized that too much optimism can be a thing. And, you know, we were talking at lunch today about the danger of leading by force of personality. And so I'll start us off, and then I'd love to hear some from you. Just even if you go back to the last week's episode where we talked about the vision adoption cycle and the emotional cycle of change and kind of that year three enigma of why do things kind of fall off. And as part of that's in regard to the vision adoption cycle, I have observed in my own life and leadership, as well as the life and leadership of others, that when you lead with a really strong force of personality, you actually press the gas and you can speed up that whole process, which is not a good thing. You can, you, you can get much quicker to the anti-adopters and never-adopters than you really need to get to those, and that can start to blow up. Yeah, I, I think that there comes a point where you go too fast and the organization can't handle it, mm-hmm. right? So one of the things I love to do with my daughters, Jimbo's, is we'll find funny memes or clips on Facebook and we'll send those. Primarily <laughs> these days, it's just me sending them those memes. They rarely send some back occasionally. Yeah. But one, one of my favorite ones is to find somebody on a bicycle or a motorcycle, uh, particularly a middle-aged mom on a motorcycle that's going too fast. And Jimbo, here's what's going to happen. A fence is going to get broken down. She's going to fly over the handlebars. And I'm going to watch that. And I'm going to laugh uproariously. 
I'm going to just oh, yeah. cackle, right? Oh, yeah. What's the problem? It's not that she couldn't ride a motorcycle. It's not that, you know, she doesn't know how to ride a bike or some balance or something like that. She was going too fast. Yeah. And it's dangerous to go too fast. Yeah, absolutely. I've got a couple of good stories that relate to that as well. <laughs> of course, of course you do. But that, organizationally, that's that's the same thing. And one of the things that I struggled with in years of leadership in multiple settings was seeing the right destination but pursuing it too fast. Yeah, I think certainly you'll you'll run it too fast of a pace, which does not allow you to shepherd well, referencing last week's episode, kind of those middle adopters, late adopters that can be brought on board to the vision. It just takes some time, some, some shepherding, some wisdom, leadership, and patience. Here's another reason I think we have to be careful of not leading by force of personality. It's not sustainable because you cannot maintain that amount of energy forever. And if it does grow by your force of personality, it will outgrow your abilities. And all of a sudden you will, by force of personality, grown something that you don't have the competency or the organizational structure to really handle. And then the wheels really start falling off. Yeah, you you do a talk on leaderships and uh, leadership and life cycles, and we may have even done some podcast episodes on that. And I think we're kind of getting into that territory in the sense of when you're starting something, you need a particular kind of skill set, and you also benefit from a particular type of personality. When you're seeking to help something become more mature, same thing, right? When it's stuck, same thing. And so often we unconsciously find ourselves drawn to a particular opportunity that fits with our personality preference, our skill set, and also that mirror images the organization. The organi- we, we see an organization that needs what we bring to the table mm-hmm. and vice versa. And so we show up there. But you're totally right. There's going to be a, a time in a season when your strength and skills alone will not help that organization or the church or whatever m- continue to move forward. Right. You may be the spark, but Jimbo, every spark that break, that builds a fire needs a fire ring. Mm. Go, go a little further on that. Well, we love like in my backyard, we have a, a fire pit. Yeah. And it's cut into the ground. There's a metal fire ring that contains it. And so we can have that heat and energy. We can have that spark. We can have that flame and we can throw wood on that fire. Yeah. As long as it's bordered by that fire ring. Mm. Right. And if it's if it gets out of that, then it's going to get into the yard and it's going to get into the trees and get into the fence and, you know, possibly get into the house. And so that's just a real simple analogy to say that there are structures and there are also people who serve to help us kind of contain the force of our personality and direct it in helpful ways. Yeah. Right. So you do a lot of conversations about the VLPS, like the, the visionary, the operator, the processor and the synergist. Right. And so all of those personality or those leadership types are needed to help an organization in various ways and various seasons of life. So same thing with personality. If we only have visionaries or we let's say we only have high D's or high I's, we might get a lot of stuff moving, but we may not get a lot of stuff done. Right. We may be reinventing the vision and the mission of the organization over and over and over again. Or if we're high I, we're the funnest place to work, but we don't do much other than just have a lot of fun. 
Yeah, so as a visionary leader, which is often going to be the strong leader or that high D execution, let's just get it done. Again, you just lead at a pace that people are not able to keep up with you. And also, I would say a third danger is you end up building so much of it on your personality that when you're tired and you can't give the energy or when you leave and you retire or retire or you die or any of those things, all of a sudden, it's not sustainable. When you leave, it will collapse if it is built solely on your personality and your gifting and your abilities, even if you're super gifted. And I think we've all seen this, right? A really gifted guy pastors a church for 35 years and the church is healthy and it's growing and lots of cool things are happening. But when he leaves, man, it just falls apart. Absolutely. And it's really hard to follow a guy like that, right? Because it doesn't matter who you are and what and what skills you have. You're not that guy, right? And so you you have basically cemented yourself into that position of leadership. And the organization has for years learned how to dance, do that dance. Mm-hmm. So you remove that person, you remove that leader, and there's a hole, right? Yeah. And it's hard to fill because the structures and the process and everything built around it is not flexible. Right. Because that person's been at the center of it all. Yeah. And when you become the center of everything, the other piece of that is all of a sudden you have to have your fingerprints in everything. You mentioned in last week's episode and a lot of bylaws as the pastor, you're the ex officio member of every committee. I mean, you have to attend all the meetings, but you don't really get to vote or set the agenda. When you lead by sheer force of personality, then you end up leading all of those meetings, even if structurally you're not supposed to, which doesn't really allow for other voices to bring a different flair and a different perspective to things. And even he, even if you're right 95% of the time and you're just, man, your intuition is so good that you just, man, you get it right over and over and over again. There is those other times you're not going to get it right. And so leading by sheer force of personality, I would say another danger is it just doesn't leave room for other people to lead in the ways that they've been gifted. Absolutely. There's a lot of turnover in organizations like that, particularly when there's divergent personality types, right? You mentioned in a conversation we were having in between podcast recording, you mentioned that a visionary and a a processor, they have to really love each other in order to work together for a long time, right? Same, Same way if a visionary is the ultimate visionary and he doesn't allow anybody else to have a vision within that vision that supports the overall church. So think about like a key lay leader, if you're multi-staff, maybe an associate pastor, somebody like that, who's who sees things a little bit differently and can get things moving and going in ways that you can't because they're unique. If they don't have space to innovate and to lead, they'll end up leaving. And so what happens then is it doesn't matter who you are, there will come a time when your personality and your vision will not be fresh yeah. and will not have the answers for your church, your organization. And so you need a balance of other perspectives and other people. And so that's why it's so important to not just lead by your personality, because then the church becomes your church, right? Mm-hmm. In the sense of it's it's really influenced by you. We all know it's Jesus' church, right? And, and he's the head of the church. But as the under shepherd of that church, if you exercise your personality and your leadership so forcefully, and so integrally, then you don't make space for other people. And that's not biblical. 
Yeah, I mean, so the Apostle Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And I could see how you could take that verse and take it out of context and go, yeah, well, that's just what I'm doing. I'm saying imitate me as, <laughs> as, as I imitate Christ. And, but look, I mean, look, at the, look at the rest of what Paul writes, right? And, and I would even say, look at how Paul interacts with Apollos, right? There seem to be maybe some differences, maybe even potential beef tension between Paul and Apollos a little bit. And at least people in, in the Corinthian church were kind of dividing themselves into camps. Some were the Paul camp and some were the Apollos camp. And and yet it seems Paul always spoke graciously yeah. and, and in an encouraging way about Apollos. But you also see in our one of our favorite passages to go to when it talk about leadership, Ephesians 4, that Paul said our job as apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers is to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. And really, that ministry has to be shared. And when you lead by sheer force of personality, not only does it really not make room for other leaders to be equipped, you're probably not equipping. You're, you're probably delegating and dumping and, and just going, hey, here's the vision I have. I need you to execute it. I need you to make it happen. No, Nobody likes it when they don't feel like they have an opportunity to be heard. And when you're leading with, this is one of the lessons I had to learn with a strong personality. What I realized is even if in my heart of hearts, my 100% authentic intention was for everyone in the room to be heard, if I came in just at full tilt Jimbo, then people with a little bit milder personalities just aren't going to speak in. And I, early on in my ministry, I was not aware of that. I did not know that I was railroading people just by sheer force of personality. And, and so I have had to learn how to, especially if I'm the largest personality in the room or positionally, I'm the guy in charge in the room then I need to be a little quieter. I need to be a little more reserved. I need to probably speak last. And when I speak last, I can't just passionately argue for my point last because then everybody will disregard everything else that was said and go, well, I mean, we all got to say our thing, but then Jimbo really, what he said matters, right? And so it requires some humility and truly valuing everybody in the room, what they have to say, what they bring to the table to dial your personality. I'm not telling you not be yourself, but maybe that large personality is even a little bit of immaturity in recognizing that and being able to go, hey, how do I, how do I recognize that? Be self-aware, be socially aware, and then self-regulate. That's what emotional intelligence is, right? Emotional intelligence is self-awareness, social awareness, and self-regulation. And so be self-aware of how you're received by other people, why you feel like you have to speak with such passion about something, such personality, so hard. Socially aware is how is that affecting everybody else in the room that's a part, part of this? And then regulation. How do I pull that back? How do I how do I make sure that I'm not taking up all the air in the room so that others can be a part of this process? Yeah, I, I was serving on staff of the church one time, and the, our senior leader conveyed himself in such a way that he was the smartest guy in the room, and what he said was always better than what we had to offer. Mm. And it wasn't always that way, but it got worse over time. Yeah. And what I would say is I've seen this happen. Longevity and age sometimes work against you being open to hearing other voices mm. who have important things to say. Yeah. And so as a staff member, we would come into, you know, brainstorming sessions and planning sessions and planning meetings. And the dynamic is 
for for a season, we would offer suggestions or perspectives and they would get shot down. Right. Or they would just lay there. You ever you put something out there. Right. And nobody responds to it. Yeah. And so the dynamic was we all learned that we had to show up, get in the brainstorming session meeting and he would ask a question and then we would just have like a staring contest. Who's going to offer something. Right. And so whoever offered something, you know, most of the time it wasn't anything that anybody picked up. And then what we eventually ended up doing was what the senior leader wanted to do. Yeah. And so it was, you know, we're all on our phones texting one another going, who's going to talk, right? Who's going to say something and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And it was just a very, very difficult season in ministry in terms of team, right? Yeah. And I remember he got challenged on that. That's what he did. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how he responded. And he refused to see it or couldn't see Mm. it. And it ended up being, no, you all are wrong. Mm. I'm right. And... I do listen to you all. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was interesting and it was challenging. And subsequently, it was a place where I, I determined, you know, Lord was leading me somewhere else. And so I ended up leaving. And then the staff turnover just escalated after I left. And it was not because I left, but I think the writing was on the wall and the patterns were fixed. It was like, yeah. we don't want thinkers. We just want people who do what I say. And so it was a very difficult season for me trying to figure out how can I make a run at this to try to try to help the the lead guy see that this is the pattern we're stuck in and couldn't couldn't make it happen. And what I saw is when I first came on staff at that church, it wasn't like that. But over time, it just got like that more and more and more and more. And so I've seen guys, you know, we sometimes think this is an immaturity issue. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just not aware of this. But I think also it is kind of a founder's issue, right? Or a leading voice issue. Like, I'm the guy who knows best here. Mm-hmm. And all y'all don't know as much as I do, and I'm the enlightened one. And so I think we have to guard against it when we're young in ministry, but also as we're old in ministry as well. Yeah, I think part of it is just it's hard to know what it's like to be on the receiving end of it. <laughs> yeah. It's just hard to know that. I mean, you don't know what it's like to be on the other side of a disagreement with you or even a brainstorming session with you or a critique of your Like, you don't know what that feels like. And sometimes it's kind of like, you ever, you ever like, there's something that like really bothers you about somebody. And then you realize, oh wait, I do that same thing. Right. Or like, you especially see it in your kids, like your kids do this thing that's like super annoying to you. Yeah. And then you see yourself do it and you're like, oh man, like how often have I done this to other people? And they've just never said anything because I don't know what it's like to be on the receiving end of me. And so self-awareness We've done other podcast episodes that maybe we'll even link those in the show notes. That I mean, self-awareness is one of the most foundational soft skills for a good leader is figuring out. And it takes work. Here's what you have to understand. You are not smart enough or insightful enough to know what it's like to be on the receiving end of you. You got to do some work. And personality profiles help talking, but asking people and making sure that you're actually listening and giving them an opportunity to really speak freely can help you know what it's like to be on the receiving end of you. Yeah, such a huge skill and so vitally necessary. So if we were going to take that journey of self-awareness, I think we've heard Bob Bumgarner say some questions before that talks about developing self-awareness at, at, 
have an informal memory of that, of him asking, and maybe it was even on a previous podcast where he, he would simply ask a set of questions like, what is it that I do that makes your job really frustrating or hard? Mm-hmm. Right. And is there something that I could change about my leadership style that you think would add speed and value to what we're doing? Yeah. Right. Is there an annoying phrase that I use that just <laughs> causes you to want to... <laughs> lose your mind or yeah. resign your job immediately and go yeah. work at Quick Trip, right? Yeah. Just, I mean, you could sit probably, you could sit down and brainstorm a bunch of questions or Jimbo, even better yet, you could probably ask your wife or your kids. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's so key, man. You got to have feedback from other people. And so that's where I think even if you just look at a personality profile, take it and then read the challenges side of it and then ask. Like, because I remember when I read that too optimistic thing, I asked my wife, I said, is that a thing? Like, am I too optimistic? And she said, a thousand percent, you're too optimistic. <laughs> yes. And I was like, and I really, ha- I, and then here's the deal. I, it was a blind spot and I needed help mm-hmm. in order. You can't see your blind spots, right? And so I needed help to know what to do with that. And so now that requires some humility and vulnerability and, and self-security to know, to be able to be willing to be examined in that way. Yeah. But man, it'd be so valuable. Yeah, I would say this. I was talking to a pastor recently and we were talking about he'd received some criticism and it was hard and he was weighing it. And so he took that criticism to people he loved and trusted and said, you know, is this true of me? Right. And they said, no, not so much. Right. And so I said, "Okay, great. Very well, then. I said, here's my suggestion. Take that criticism and take it to the Lord and just ask him Mm. if there's any validity or any small truth that he wants you to be aware of, yeah. right? Sometimes we have a difficult grace that's given to us by our critics. Yeah, People who love us, people who are for us, our spouse, people who are in our past or people who are our biggest fans in terms of maybe even leaders within the church, they will see us through a particular lens that diminishes our flaws and maximizes our strengths. Our critics, however, maximize our flaws and diminish our strengths. But sometimes they can focus in on a place in our lives and our leadership that the Lord really wants to bring to our attention. So before you dismiss the critic and the criticism, bring that to the Lord. Ask them, Lord, is there a a grain of truth in this that you are giving me the difficult grace of hearing right now? Mm. And if so, what do I need to know? And how can I sit with this? And how can I bring it to you to be shaped into who you want me to be? That's such a good word. All right, listeners, don't lead by sheer force of personality. Gain some self-awareness. Lead with a team and not by yourself. That's sustainable. It's healthy. It's biblical. And it'll help you grow as a person, as a leader, as a follower of Jesus. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, a resource for replanters by replanters. If you enjoyed this episode or found it to be helpful for you and your ministry, please help us get the word out by subscribing, sharing, and leaving us a review on your favorite podcast listening platform. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital. 180 Digital is a team of design, development, and marketing experts that love working with churches big and small. Check out 180.church, O-N-E-E-I-G-H-T-Y.church to learn more about how 180 can help your church move forward.